Well, as we begin, I uh, want to make just a couple of announcements um, before I start the sermon uh, the today. First of all, I just want to say thank you for your ongoing generosity to the church. Um, we had a good November, and we feel like we're entering into December in a really good place. So thank you for your uh, contributions as you give and, and continue to sustain this ministry. It was awesome this week to be able to send out a bunch of checks uh, to our mission partners because a part of your giving actually helps to sustain our mission partners as well. And we feel blessed that we are able uh, to support many of the ministries uh, throughout our community and in our world. And you get to hear um, updates on a number of those ministries. So I just want to say thank you for that. And also remind you that December really is an important month uh, for our church as we make plans about how we'll hire and the work that we want to do in 2021. So first of all, a big thank you. Uh, second of all, as you've probably heard, we are going to be having outdoor uh, worship services for Christmas Eve. You can sign up for those online and just go online and those will go live today. And um, we'd love to be able to see if you want to come and join us. That will be happening. So today is the second Sunday of Advent. And as I alluded to last Sunday, Advent is a season for us to peer into the darkness. Um, it's not just about the light and the presence and the hope that we find on Christmas Day. It's a season that leads us to that place. But it's a season where we also look around and say, the world is not right. Fleming Rutledge, if you um, have been reading in our Advent devotionals, and if you haven't, you can go online and and, and, and follow along um, in her devotional this week, here's, here's what she wrote. She said, hope is the polar opposite of optimism. Optimism fails when it is swallowed up in darkness. By contrast, hope is found in something beyond human history. It is found in an incarnate God. And I really like that because she's saying optimism won't last. Optimism gets swallowed up in darkness and true hope has to come from beyond us. It's not something that we can create ourselves. It is a gift. And that's what Advent is saying to us is this, this hope is on the move. This hope is arriving in our world. And so this morning, what we want to do is we're going to take a look at the story of John the Baptist as he prepares the way of Jesus in Matthew chapter three. And we'll get to that text in just a moment. But if you remember John the Baptist as an adult, he, he was an odd looking character. He was out of step with his culture and his community. He wore clothes of camel's hair. We read that he ate locusts and, and wild honey. He used words like repent and rebuke. He was, he was on the edge. And perhaps you've met people like this in your own life when it comes to how they live out their faith. I remember, remember reminded of a dear saint, uh, one of my good friends from Lubbock, Texas, who has now gone uh, to be with God. And his name was Billy Jack Rudd. Actually, he went by Jack Rudd, but, uh, you know, you're from Texas. Billy Jack sounds good. But um, Jack Rudd was a dentist, very successful in his practice. And then tragedy struck. There was a fire in their house. Their daughter was killed. And it created this turmoil for Jack and his wife and his other son. So badly that he and his wife uh, both became raging alcoholics. They divorced. There were all sorts of mental issues around that. But about two years before I showed up in Lubbock, Texas, Jack got sober. And he started showing up for church. 
And he and I began to go and have lunch. And I began to hear some of his story. And what he was trying to figure out was, was what do I do with the rest of my life? My dentistry practice has caved in, but I want to serve. And I want to honor God. And, um, and I want to use my dentistry skills to do that. And so I invited him along on one of our mission trips to Belize, and he went down there with us. And, and Jack was always a little scattered and kind of always a little bit off, and, and he would just disappear. And people would say to me, what's up with Jack? Like he's off trying to do stuff, and we don't know where he is. And I said, you know, you need to be patient with him because if you knew his, if you knew his story, you'd understand. But little did I know that that trip to Belize would actually create with a ministry that he finally started. And I remember him coming to me and saying to me, Paul, I'm moving to Zambia, and I'm going to start a dental ministry there for young children, for children who have no idea what dentists even are, and teach them how to care for their teeth. And I said, well, hey, that sounds great. Who do you know in Zambia? I don't know anybody. Well, who do you know in Africa? I don't know anybody. I just feel called to go to Zambia and create this ministry called Teeth Savers. I said, Jack, you're crazy. Like, who's going to take care of you? Who's going to help you? Who's going to support you? What happens if you get sick and asking all these questions? But he went and he started this ministry. And actually, crazily enough, a few years ago when I was in Malawi, that ministry had moved from Zambia to Malawi as well. And I got to meet the person who was running it in Malawi. But Jack, I remember so distinctly, he would come back. And this is where John the Baptist comes in. And he would come back to kind of regroup in the States and also to raise some money. And he would sit with me and he would rage against the American church about how all we do is live for ourselves, about how we don't care about the least of these. And, and, and we would go out to eat and he would continue this kind of tirade. And I had to be like, Jack, shh, quiet it down. There's people around here. And I would remind him, I'm like, Jack, the people that you are raging against, the people who you are so troubled by, by the way in which they live their lives, they're the people you're trying to raise money from. But it didn't matter. Jack just spoke truth. And it wasn't what he was saying was actually wrong. But he shot straight. And he didn't know what boundaries were. And he was kind of always on the edge. He was kind of always out of step. And I'd always say to him, Jack, you've got just a little bit too much of John the Baptist in you. Because you call it like you see it. And you don't hold anything back. And that really is the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is is an amazing man because he just keeps speaking the truth of Jesus and he doesn't care. And what he's doing is he's now becoming the messenger of saying Christ is coming. The Messiah is on his way. So this is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him, In the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Wow. Not a very seeker-sensitive message. Like I said, John told it like it is. He didn't hold back the truth. He didn't pull back any punches. He said, you need to repent. He rebuked the people. So who was John the Baptist? We go back in history and we probably recall this story back in Luke chapter 1. John the Baptist's parents were Zechariah and Elizabeth. And as you may recall this story, they were barren. They were unable to have children and they were old. And they had to keep wondering, is God ever going to show up? It's, It's the same cry. Actually, their cry was the one that Israel had as well. They were waiting. When is God going to show up? And so Zechariah gets called in to be the priest on duty. He's praying at the altar of incense in the temple. And we read about this in in Luke chapter 1. And at verse 12, an angel of the Lord has appeared, and Gabriel has appeared, and is is now having this conversation with Zechariah. And this is what we read at verse 12. When Zechariah saw him, saw Gabriel, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to be the Lord, to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is the word. These are the words of Gabriel to Zechariah. And you may recall Zechariah says, well, how can this be? Because we're both old. And Gabriel says, well, hey, you you know, you're just not going to talk until John is actually born. And then John is born. And then both Zechariah and Elizabeth agree on the name John. And the people are astounded. But they had been waiting. Zechariah and Elizabeth had been waiting. The people of Israel had been waiting. And now God is on the move. And he's going to use John. So much so that at the end this passage in Luke chapter 1, right before Zechariah sings his song, we read this in verse 66, Luke 1, 66. Everyone who heard this, this is after they have named the child and the story that Zechariah tells, wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. What is this child going to be? And so they wait. And then John the Baptist shows up. And he's a little out of step. He's dressed funny. He eats weird foods. He starts calling out these words of repentance, these words of rebuke. 
and 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 he's he's the new Elijah. So if, if we if we take a look at the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and we look at chapter four, and I want to read uh, verses one and two and five and six. These are the last words that are spoken for four hundred years, and so Israel's been waiting. And this is what Malachi writes: Surely the day is coming; it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. So they're looking to this day when the Lord's going to come. Verse 5 and 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Like I said, Advent is a season where we peer into the darkness. And what God is saying is, I'm going to send Elijah ahead of this, this world that is to come, this new age that is to come. And Elijah, you know, remember Elijah was taken up in a chariot, so there was no sense that Elijah had truly died. So when Malachi writes this, there's this recognition that Elijah might return. But who returns is not Elijah, it's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is out there proclaiming truth. He speaks so much like Elijah spoke. He speaks the truth. There's some love sometimes, but it's often just simply the truth. And what's remarkable to me is he's out in the wilderness proclaiming God's ways, and people are coming from east and west and north and south to hear what he has to say. And he's telling them that they need to repent. It, it's... It, it, I mean, only God could do this, could take someone who's some of an, of an oddball and have him be the one who's bringing people who are being baptized, who, who are hearing about the truth of Jesus, that letting, being told that the way is being prepared. And it's John leading the way. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they don't want to be left out. So what do they do? Well, th- they want to go and hear as well what John the Baptist might say to them. But, oh, man. His message to the crowd is very different than his message to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. With the crowd, he just talks about this idea of repenting. But when it comes to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says, who brought you out here? You brood of vipers. Don't you understand the ax is at the root? You need to bear good fruit. And he lets them have it. And he says to them, you think you're safe because you consider yourselves children of Abraham. You're, you're part of the covenant. You're part of the family of Israel. And because of that, you feel as though you can do no wrong. But John the Baptist says, you have been messing it up. It doesn't matter who your family is. It doesn't matter who your father is or who your mother is. It does not matter which tribe you belong to. It doesn't matter if you're this religious expert. He's like, your life needs to be transformed. You need to repent. You need to change the way in which you have been living. You're missing the mark. You may think that you are loving God and perhaps you are loving God, but you're not loving your neighbors. You're not producing good fruit. And you can only imagine how the Pharisees and Sadducees probably responded to that. But John's saying, look, the ax is at the root. And what he's saying in the grander scheme of things is saying, 
God is now on the move. You all have been waiting these 400 years for God to show up. God has now shown up. Jesus is on the move. I love the book, uh, I love the series, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And that first book is such a great book to read around Christmas time, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in that that book, it, it, it describes the land of Narnia, that which is under the power of the great witch. And they said, the land of Narnia, where it's always winter and never Christmas. And if you know the, land, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's written for children, although it's great for adults as well. But as a child, to imagine it always being winter and never getting to Christmas is a terrible thing. But it's the way in which Lewis is describing this world of Narnia, this world that has, has taken a dark turn. And these children get magically transported through this wardrobe into the land of Narnia from the earth uh, into, into the land of Narnia. And they meet this Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and where the land of Narnia is great because all the animals talk and the kids can talk. And it's just a wonderful story. But anyway, Mr. Beaver says to the children, we have heard that Aslan is on the move, that he has landed. And in this story, Aslan is the, the, great, the great king. He, he, he is the, the, the God figure. He is the Christ figure. In the land of Narnia, things begin to change because Aslan is on the move, the great lion. And even the children in this story, as it's told, they, it says they feel something like they've never felt before. And this is what John the Baptist is out there doing, is he's saying, look, this world is where it seems like it's always winter, but never Christmas. This world that seems to be filled with darkness and no light. You need to understand that the Messiah is on the way, that Jesus is on the move. And for us, we need to think about that as well, that Jesus is on the move. And the question then is what are we to do with that? That if we profess that Jesus is on the move, what does that mean for our lives? And I think John the Baptist is very clear about this, of what it means for what it meant for the, the religious rulers, but I think also for what it means for us as we live out our lives. And he says it a couple times in a couple different ways. In verse 8, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And again, then down in verse 10, um, he talks about producing good fruit. And verse 8, I think, is the key here. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So what does that mean? Like this, this, is, this is, to me, the, the, the message of us for Advent. Repentance. It doesn't mean I'm saying sorry. I mean, it does mean you should say you're sorry. But, but repentance is much more than just apologizing. Repentance, that word that is used there, is literally a turning around. It's a changing of direction. You see, what is happening is, is, is God is coming from outside of this world. It's that Fleming Rutledge idea that hope, hope comes from the outside. We cannot truly repent on our own. We need help to do that. So there's this recognition that we need to repent. But then there's also this, this idea that we have to say, but Lord, you have to help me with this. That if I'm going to turn my life around... I cannot do that on my own. I need help from outside. I need help that comes from above. And that's what John the Baptist is saying. He's saying, you've got to turn your life around. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished or not accomplished. None of that matters. What matters is that Jesus has arrived. And that's what matters for us. That this season of Advent is, is, is us asking the question, 
How can I produce good fruit in repentance? Where do I need to turn my life? Where do I need help from God to shift in order that I might live more faithfully? And, and I'm just going to suggest a couple things that, that, that came to me as I was as working on this sermon. And, and there's way more than what I'm going to suggest. But let me give you three thoughts um, of what it might look like to bear fruit out of repentance. I think the first thing is this, is that we end up thinking a lot more, or a lot less rather. We think a lot less about what I can get than what I can give. I, I need to be thinking more about what can I give? I don't need to be thinking as much about what can I get, but what can I give? Secondly, I need to be thinking through how do I, how do I spread more hope rather than just spreading myself so thin? That's always the problem of the holiday season. And I know in the midst of COVID, we're not doing as much as we used to, but, but we just have this way of, of spreading our lives so thinly instead of spreading hope. And I want to be conscious of that, of thinking, what can I do to spread more hope? And the final thing is this, is, is that I want to think through, how do I work for the good of all and not just the few? I mean, there's some who it's easy to work for the good of, but, but those who I, who I struggle with, how do we bear the fruit of repentance? We look for those whom we can help. We don't spread ourselves too thin. We're not so concerned with what we can get, but we're much more concerned about what we can give. This, my friends, is, I think, what God is calling us to be about. We have to work, and this is something that really hit me this week. We have to work for those who have lost hope. Because there are many in our society who have lost hope. You, you know, I, I think about the second advent of Jesus. And for many of us, we probably don't think much about the return of Christ. But that's because for many of us, our lives are somewhat stable. Yes, COVID has created lots of inconveniences, but, but life has gone on and, and, and we've figured out a way. But there are those whose lives are in such difficult and miserable situations that I wouldn't be surprised if they pray for the Lord to return soon. That when they look around and they see where they are and what they have, actually what they don't have, when they have no home, no place, no food, no job. Wouldn't you pray, come Lord Jesus? And I think this Advent season, those are the people we need to be looking for. That's how we bear the fruit of repentance. Y'all can give to the deacons. I mean, to make it easy here, you can give to the deacons fund at our church so we can help those needs. We on our website have our mission gift booklet which shows all of our mission partners and all the ways you can support them because they are, they're taking hits because of COVID. Let's bear good fruit. Let's figure out ways that we live beyond ourselves. Let's figure out ways that we can point people to Jesus because that's what John the Baptist ultimately was all about. Here's what we read in John chapter 1. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, concerning Jesus, so that through him all might believe. 
He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And that's what we do. We don't have to be wild and crazy like John the Baptist was or my friend Jack Rudd was. But ultimately what each of us is called to do is to bear witness to the light. To point people away from us. And to point people to Jesus. To to bear the fruit of repentance. To, To take a look at our own lives and say, Lord, are we coasting? As we talked about last week, we wait and we watch and we live. And as we wait, Jesus has instructed us and reminded us that he's with us. He's prepared a meal for us to remind us that he will never abandon us or forsake us. Pray with me, please. God, thank you. Thank you for the testimony of John the Baptist, a man who was out of step, but a man who loved Jesus and loved you. May we learn from his story. May we be encouraged to keep our eyes open and Lord, to live fully for you. Help us to see the stranger in need. And Lord, now would you feed us at this table? We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.